Jesus asked many questions that cut to the heart of the matter and revealed truth to those who listened. But what can these questions teach us about life and God in our modern times? Find out today on the Central Baptist Podcast. The scripture reading is Matthew chapter 15, verse 29 to 39. Please turn to Matthew 15 in your Bible or follow along in the sermon notes handout. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, here we are already, lesson number eight in our series that we've been going through called Questions Jesus Asked. I trust that if you've been with us through this time that you have been encouraged and challenged and even changed perhaps by the contemplation of Jesus and his teaching through his strategic use of questions. Well, it was more than 25 years ago, but I still remember a preacher starting his sermon with a thought-provoking question that went something like this. How many of you believe that right now you have everything that you need to do everything that God is calling you to do. He pressed us a little bit further, as I recall. He said, put up your hand if you believe that you right now have everything that you need to do everything that God is calling you to do. He went on to talk about what he called the not enough syndrome. I wonder if you can relate to any of the following feelings. I feel like there's just not enough time to do what needs to be done. Not enough days in the week, not enough hours in a day. Or perhaps I feel like I, there's, I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough physical stamina to think about reaching out, getting involved in others' lives. My health is poor now. I just don't have that stamina to do anything but the bare minimum. Or perhaps 
I don't have enough money. I can barely make it on what I have. There's no way I have enough to share with others. Perhaps I don't have enough friends. I feel disconnected, I feel lonely. Or perhaps I don't have enough skill or enough of the right kind of skills. I don't have enough brain power. I don't have enough intelligence. All of these things we might think of on a personal level. Perhaps as a corporate level, if you've been part of our church family for a while now, perhaps you're thinking, we don't have enough pastors in this church. We don't even have a lead pastor. Let me take this one step further. I wonder whether this not enough syndrome is something that you've experienced. Perhaps you're experiencing it today. But what, are the, what words would you use to describe the feelings associated with this not enough syndrome? Perhaps overwhelmed, discouraged, maybe exhausted, maybe worn down from trying so hard to keep up. Allow me to make two observations. First observation I'd like to make is this. Perhaps, perhaps we feel this way because we've taken on more than what God is actually calling us to do. Perhaps we're in it for our own motives, our own glory, and we're just in there and we're busy, 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 and we're getting worn down, but is God really asking us to do all of that? This can be true at any stage of life, of course, that we would perhaps have higher expectations of ourselves than maybe even what God has of us. I would like to speak for a moment to my senior friends in this church. It is my immense privilege to have been hired as a part of my work here. Half of my work here is to visit the seniors in our community. And I want to say it has been such an immense privilege for me to sit and visit with many seniors in this church, some of whom have served this place tirelessly for decades. Decades. But now, some of them, for some of them, the physical limitations associated with advancing years has severely restricted them from serving in the way that they used to and in the way that they still wish they could. I want to just say a word to you, my dear friends. I want to encourage you by saying that I believe that God is a loving Father and He knows our limitations. And He is the one we need to listen to. We need to not listen to our own expectations. And let me encourage you, I really believe that there is still a way for our seniors, even as they lose physical capacity to continue to serve our community, but it may change. So let us together listen for the voice of God and to what that looks like. But I believe that the lesson that I would say to my senior friends is a lesson I would say to all of us. Are we listening, really, for the voice of God in what he is calling us to? So for all of us then, let's be careful to be listening for the voice of God, not placing our own expectations, our own motivations, Perhaps that's part of the cause of this not enough syndrome. The second observation I want to just make quickly here is that 
I want to say it's okay to work hard. And it's okay to be busy in healthy ways. And what I want to say here is that in no way by saying this do I want to suggest that God is calling us to an easy life of leisure only. In fact, as we read through the New Testament, we realize that the call to follow Jesus is a high bar. It's about denying ourselves and following Jesus with our whole hearts. It's about engaging fully in the life that he's calling us to. And sometimes in the midst of doing that, there are spiritual battles, there are physical battles. Life is not always easy. However, I also want to say that I believe that God is calling us in the midst of life to experience fullness of life with him, right? Jesus said, I came so that you may have life to the full. And Jesus wants us to experience the fullness of life and not live under the heavy pressure of what my preacher friend called the not enough syndrome. And so it's my hope and prayer today that by observing this question of Jesus today in its context that we might be encouraged that each one of us would be those of us who are perhaps feeling the weight of this not enough syndrome that we would be encouraged to believe that God has provided everything that I need today to do everything he's calling me to do. So, let's turn to our story. In our story today, Jesus asked his disciples this question. He says, how many loaves do you have? Well, put yourself in this story with me. Imagine the scene of this hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. There's 4,000 men plus women and children, roughly speaking 10,000 people scattered across this hillside. What is the logical answer to this question? How many loaves do you have? Not enough. Not enough. Seven loaves plus a few small fish are not enough to feed 10,000 people. In fact, from my observation, I think some of, well, any, any one of a number of our young adults could eat all seven fish and the small fish at one time. The point is, it's a minuscule amount. It's a drop in the bucket. And so we could say, Jesus plus nothing is actually enough, right? Did Jesus really need those seven loaves and those fish? And yet, he turns to his friends. And he says, how many loaves do you have? What do we learn from this story? I believe this is a story which is pointing to something much bigger than itself, by the way. But here's, let me make this suggestion in terms of what we can learn from this story. I believe that Jesus invites us, just like he invited his disciples in this story, he invites us to bring our meager resources and join him in his mission in the world. Jesus invites you and me, just like he invited the 12, to bring our seven loaves and to join him in his mission in the world. Just take a moment to take in the beauty of Jesus as you contemplate this statement. Jesus, as we see in this story, has all the resources in the universe, right? He feeds 10,000 people from this tiny little offering. 
Jesus has all of the resources in the universe to do anything. He is the creator of everything that's been made. And yet he asks us, how many loaves do you have? To the disciples, he says, and I wonder if he's got a bit of a smile on his face, because this is now the second time, you may remember that not too long previous, Jesus had fed 5,000 people plus women and children, 5,000 men plus women and children, right? In a previous story, not so long before. I wonder if Jesus has a smile on his face and the disciples are just kind of getting it here. Jesus is saying, okay, bring what you have and let's do something big and beautiful. And I think that's what Jesus is asking us to. He's saying, bring what you have and let's do something big and beautiful. He invites each one of his children to bring their small gifts, their skills, their resources. And by the way, when I say meager resources, I don't mean to downplay the offerings that we might bring, but I want to see it in comparison to the resources that Jesus brings to this mission, right? What we bring is meager compared to the power and the glory of Jesus. And so we offer our gifts, our skills, our resources, and we join him in what I want to suggest is the most exciting mission in human history. From this story, I want us to ask then two questions. Two questions are these. First of all, what is the mission of Jesus in the world? And secondly, how can we join him in this mission? In pursuit of answering question one, I'd like us to turn to the early part of the reading that Al read to us. The writer of our story here, Matthew, the Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, I believe he's doing something very intentional as he sets the scene for this miracle. He's describing what is happening on that mountainside with those 10,000 people there. And listen very carefully to the description that Matthew gives here, uh, beginning in verse 30. He says, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his, that is Jesus' feet, And what does Jesus do? He healed them. So that the crowd wondered, right? They stood back in amazement. Why? When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and notice what they do. What do they do? And they glorified the God of Israel. Why? Why did these first century Jews who are observing this scene on the, on the mountainside, why did they glorify the God of Israel? Because they recognize that this very work that Jesus is doing is the fulfillment of some Old Testament prophecies of what the coming Messiah would do. That the coming Messiah would do this amazing work of restoration, healing what was broken in the world, and that's the picture that is happening on the hillside, and what we realize Matthew is doing, he's painting a picture of an absolutely momentous time in human history. Theologians call this time in human history the time of the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus as the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God. This is God coming to earth in the person of Jesus in order to, to fix, to heal what has been broken by sin. And just in case there's any doubt about Jesus' knowledge of what he came to do, while you're looking at these words on the screen, let me read some other words to you that Jesus said to prove that he was fulfilling the 
Many Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is in a synagogue in his hometown and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he turns to what we call now Isaiah 61 and he reads these words and notice how similar they are to what you see on the screen. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what the prophet said the Messiah would do. He would bring this restoring work to broken humanity. Let me summarize what I believe to be, and here we're stepping back, we're looking at the big picture of the story of the Bible. Let me summarize the mission of Jesus in the world using two key words. Let me suggest to you that the mission of Jesus can be described as a ministry of, first of all, reconciliation, and secondly, restoration. Reconciliation and restoration. Why reconciliation? Because let's think back to the very beginning of the story of the Bible back in Genesis chapter three. What happened when sin and rebellion entered into the world? The relationship between humans and their good God who created them was broken, right? Humans were pushed out of the garden because sin and evil cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus comes to fix that. Jesus comes to bring reconciliation of humans back with the good God who made them. Jesus comes to accomplish that. Let me just read to you some words. The Apostle Paul describes this work of reconciliation. It's not gonna be on the screen, so please listen very carefully. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now just a minute, pay attention to that. Paul is saying, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. One of the clearest verses pointing to the divinity of Jesus. But what was God become human in the person of Jesus going to do? Listen to verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven. And how is he going to do that? By making peace through the blood of his cross. Last week we were looking how the cross was the very focus of Jesus' life on earth. He came in order to die. And what did he accomplish on the cross? Paul continues in verse 21, he says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Did you get that picture? Jesus came to accomplish reconciliation. We were separated from God because of our sin. By his death, Jesus accomplishes that reconciliation and makes it possible for us to have restored relationship with God. But why restoration? Restoration is the other word that I'm suggesting. Think about this, when sin and rebellion entered into the world, all of the relationships were affected. Humans with God, humans with humans, humans with creation, humans with animals, everything was broken. And what entered into our world was what we see today, and that is death and disease and corruption and self-centered greed. It never existed there before sin entered the world in Genesis three. But Jesus, 
Part of Jesus' mission in the world is the restoration of all of those relationships. He is going to restore creation, and that is what he came to do, and we see this little mini picture of it at the beginning of our story today, and we can go to the end of our Bibles, to Revelation chapter 21, to get the picture of what it's gonna be like at the end. Listen to Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many of us are looking forward to that? And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making everything new. Jesus came to accomplish reconciliation and restoration. You might be saying to yourself at this point, okay, this mission of Jesus, this reconciliation and restoration, it sounds all pretty supernatural. How in the world are we supposed to participate in that? Think with me for a moment about the the timeline, the timeline of the Bible from the beginning to the end. Jesus comes approximately how many years ago? 2,000 years ago or so, right? Jesus comes into the world, and when Jesus came into the world, he came to fully accomplish the work of reconciliation, and he did that, as we've talked about many times, by dying on the cross, by taking on himself the penalty for your sin, for mine, for the sin of the whole world, And in rising from the dead, he breaks the power of death. Jesus accomplishes all of that while he was here. And based on the completed work of Jesus, the scriptures then tell us, us people with confidence, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the best news in the history of the world. And it's a finished work. Jesus completed it. He finished it when he died on the cross. And this reconciled relationship with God is offered, listen carefully to this, this reconciled relationship to the God who made us is offered to humans as a gift. It's offered as a gift. It's not forced. It's offered. Offered as a gift. The wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God, right, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus accomplished. He accomplished all of it in his first coming, but then what happened? After his first coming, he went away. He said, I'm gonna come back again. That was like 2,000 years ago, right? Jesus is still gonna come back again, But here's the question, and when he comes back, what's he gonna do? He's gonna bring to fulfillment, he's gonna accomplish Revelation 21. He's gonna wipe away evil for good and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he's gonna do. But we're in this in-between stage, right? We're in between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. So let me ask this, what is the mission of Jesus now in this season of life in which we live? And please, let me invite you to come with me to a passage of scripture that's become one of my most favorite in in the whole of the Bible, describing what is going on right now in this in between the comings of Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter three, Peter's answering a question that many people have today. Back in Peter's day, they weren't saying it's been 2,000 years because it hadn't been, but they were already asking in Peter's day, where is this coming that he promised? It's been so long, why isn't Jesus returning? People are asking that today, right? 
Jesus has promised to come 2,000 years. Why hasn't he come? And Peter goes to great lengths to say, Jesus will come into the world. And look at how he describes it. Just verses, we're just gonna read two of the verses there. Second Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine. Look at what these words say. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is it like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. God is outside of time, so what is a long time to God? But listen to what Peter goes on today to say. The Lord is not slow, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but listen, he is patient. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you capture the compassion of God in the statement, the compassion of Jesus? What's the mission of Jesus right now? The mission of Jesus right now is that every person, all tribes, all nations, all peoples, your neighbors, my neighbors, my family, your family, that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. And so the challenging question for us here is do our hearts also beat with the same heart for the mission of Jesus in the world? That this best news in the history of the world that Jesus is offering the gift of reconciliation and restoration is being offered to everyone, do our hearts beat with his? And so we come now to our second question which is really how can we then join him in his mission? And let me briefly suggest three items. First of all, I wanna suggest receive the gift. Second, I wanna suggest capture the heart of the mission. And thirdly, bring our seven loaves to Jesus. First of all, then receive the gift. I wish to speak to you here this morning if you're still exploring Christian faith, perhaps you're not sure about becoming a follower of Jesus. I wanna say first of all, thank you for being with us. We love having you here and we'd love to talk to you more. I wanna encourage you to look closely at this gift that is being offered. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of Jesus. It's, an, it's not a gift that can be earned. It's not a gift that can be bought. The Apostle Paul reminds us it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. And it really is the best gift in the history of the world and it's yours to receive. Romans chapter 10 tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you haven't done that yet and you're thinking about it, we would love to talk to you more. It really is the best news in the world. But secondly, capture the heart of the mission in the story of Matthew 15, Jesus, as Jesus is inviting his friends to join him in this particular mission, the mission was to feed those 10,000 people in this case. Listen to how Jesus reveals his heart. He says to them, I have compassion. I have compassion on this crowd because they've been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. My friends, throughout the story of the Bible, God is presented to us as a God who is full of compassion, who is slow to anger, and who is full of mercy. And this is clearly seen in that second Peter passage that we just read. And so, we might think about this, what does it look like for us to capture the heart of the mission? We need to capture the heart of compassion. Capture the heart of compassion for those who are living around us, those who are living across the road, down the street, in our offices, around the world, where people have not yet had the chance even to hear the message. 
to be effective mission workers alongside Jesus, I believe we must become like him in this. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this in one of his letters. This is an amazing verse, also 2 Corinthians chapter two. Paul is talking to this church in Corinth and he says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Let me just stop there because that's kind of a confusing statement perhaps. It's a picture that Paul is painting in those days when a, when a warrior went out and conquered a, a, a city or a territory, they would come back in a, in a triumphal procession and the captives there would be alongside showing that the, the victory had been won. So without going into detail, Paul is just saying to these people, the victory has been won by Jesus, right? But listen to what he says, we who are like captives in his train, we are the ones who have received this gift of reconciliation What are we to do? Look at what the next words say. And he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. This is how we capture the heart of the mission of Jesus. We should smell like Jesus, right? It's kind of a funny way to say it, isn't it? But we should smell like Jesus. We are the pleasing aroma of Christ. How how often are Christians condemned or judged or criticized because of being harsh and judgmental? We are to share this mission by being the aroma of Christ. So we receive the gift, we capture the heart of the mission, but then finally, what do we do? We bring our seven loaves. There are so many words in the New Testament to describe how we join in the mission of Jesus. We're called witnesses, we're called ambassadors, we're called disciple makers, but from our story today, I simply wanna focus on the truth that Jesus invites us to bring what we have. Jesus invites us to bring what he's already given us and join him in his mission in the world. No matter how meager we might feel it is, Jesus wants to say to you, as he says to me, how many loaves do you have? What do you have to bring? And I think as he did with the disciples, he he does it with a smile and a face, and he says, bring what you have, and let's do something big and beautiful in this world. The New Testament writers here use picture language to describe how we work together to, to complete, to join in with Jesus in his mission. And they talk about we together being the body of Christ, and each one of us is a different part in the body. Each of us is unique. We have a particular set of gifts and skills and ability, and the point is that we just bring what we are. We bring what we are, and we join with Jesus in his mission. It may seem small and insignificant to you, but Jesus can take it and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it and do something big and beautiful. Just have a quick look at Romans chapter 12 where the apostle Paul says, describes this, this body of different people. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. So if your gift is prophesying, he says, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. The point is, we each have some loaves, right? We each have something that God has given us to bring, to join with him in his mission. 
And so we come back to our main question here. How many loaves do you have? What is it that God has given you? What is your passion, your skill, your ability, your personality? We bring everything that we are to join with Jesus who multiplies our efforts to reach the whole world with the good news that reconciliation with God is possible and it's a good gift to be received. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.